0: Watch uh Spectrum be the reason that this doesn't actually happen. Right. You know, we're trying to come back. <laughs> coming in hot for season three. Coming Spectrum in hot says, nope. for season three
1: if Spectrum allows us. Welcome back to Switchcast. I hope you have missed us as much as we have missed you. I am your host, Doug Tabit, and SwitchCast is the podcast where we seek to educate, edify, and entertain you on the drive of your life. We are back with our third season after a health and holiday, holiday hiatus, and here's what you can look forward to this coming season. We have a new format that's more compact and a little bit more lively and includes such characters as the Appraiser, the Scam Smeller, the Shrewd Negotiator, and the Corvette Curmudgeon. We'll be focusing on topics and guests that help our listeners be smarter buyers and sellers, avoid scams, and make informed decisions from their initial purchase through all aspects of ownership. We are actually going to do a series on the top 10 questions you need to ask when you're buying a car and the top 10 questions that everybody does ask but are completely useless and drive people like me and dealers nuts because they're just dumb. Like, How many owners has the car had? totally irrelevant. Anyway, we'll get into that later. We'll evaluate potential scams every week and help teach you how to smell scammers from a mile away. And if you have scams or, or interactions with people that you think might be and you want us to evaluate, send them over and we will do it live on the show. And of course, we'll track Carvana's inevitable demise because it is coming. It is coming. So let's get right into it. Starting off with some unapologetic self-adulation, not to be confused with flagellation, although I could easily slip those things up, uh, pronunciation, that, anyway. Either way, I'm glad you're over there and I'm over here. I'm not Michael Scott, so I get my words (laughs) correct. Um, This last year, we were fortunate enough to be part of a record sale on Bring a Trailer, not just a Bring a Trailer record, but an all-time auction, high sale for a Ferrari 456M, of all things. It was, of course, a gated manual because nobody's going to set a record with an automatic Ferrari. Um, And it had something special going for it in that it was uh, one of, I think, just 30 Michael Schumacher editions worldwide, which we didn't even know was a thing until we came to this car. And a lot of people didn't, but the market responded. But... Not to uh, just broadcast how awesome we are at at getting high dollars for our cars because it doesn't happen all the time. I want to actually help you learn the same lessons that we learned from this. Uh, So the, the seller sent us this car to consign and we figured that given the special nature of the car and the rarity that bring a trailer was a good option for it. Now, an auction doesn't guarantee a high result or a record sale because there's, you know, for every record sale, there's hundreds of cars that either don't meet reserve or sell for marginal value or mediocre value or even below wholesale sometimes. But in a declining market, we were able to pull an all-time record sale for 456s. And from that, we learned three things. We call it the PPP, not to be confused with Friggin' government handouts it was presentation preparation and promotion now one p that is not included that in that is photography we'll get to that in a minute but part of the preparation it was fairly extensive a lot of people think that you just get in a car Take pictures and throw it on BAT and you'll get whatever you want. That's kind of how we actually looked at eBay back in the early 2000s. Like, oh, we'll just throw it on eBay. We'll get lots of money for it. You know, just magic buyers through the internet. And I think people think that about bringing a trailer, but there's more to it. So we spent probably the better part of four months getting this car right because when it came to us, there were some things that we knew would hold it back from reaching full value. A couple of those things were very obvious Ferrari things, very common issues, which was the sticky interior buttons, which on this car was uh, pretty problematic, and the leather shrinkage, which was uh, also fairly notable on this car on both the front and rear uh, shelves, the front dashboard and the rear shelf. Uh, So we sent it out to a vendor, uh, Euroformance, that specializes in those, and it was quite an involved job. Uh, Sticky interior refinishing and leather uh, stretching can run the gamut of, of easy and simple to really involved. and the more they got into it the more things they found little trim pieces that needed addressed etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, the, the headlight motors weren't working properly so we wanted to make sure all this was addressed because we didn't want to put it out there um, kind of the opposite of a polished turd right a really good car that had some eyesores that were fairly easily addressed. So, we addressed those items, we brought it back, we detailed it. So, that was the preparation. The presentation involved researching the rarity of this car, the production numbers, because there's 30 worldwide. But what we found out was there's only three manual 456M Schumacher editions for the US. So, you take 30 and then you bring it down to three. Okay, that's something we need to present. Then, we presented all of the toolkits. Um, uh the 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 accessories the battery charger you know the ferrari branded accessories the uh car cover the um the stamped service booklet which is very very important to people if they're buying a car especially overseas buyers the uh, collectors they want to see that dealer stamped service booklet uh scanning in the service records we had highlighting the important things like timing belt and tensioner services. Um, getting all of that stuff together, not just taking pictures, but taking pictures of all the things people want to see. So that was part of the presentation. And of course, promotion. We promoted it ourselves to our mailing list, to our Instagram page, all of our social media, and you know, the obvious bring a trailer crowd that, that comes. And they do have a, a, a very big crowd. Um, but you know, it's not so simple as just throwing it up on an auction and and expecting it to go for a record. The one thing that we do not find, at least in our experience, that is super important, even though there's articles and studies that say it is, is photography. We've not found professional photography to have a difference in the overall sale result. I think it does affect people's emotions uh, and gets them interested in a car, but I have yet to see it, at least in the data that I've collected, to actually change the overall sale number on a car. Um, we appreciate professional photography. I love the guys that do that craft. I've purchased photography, and uh, I think they should all be supported. Um, but the the articles and studies I've seen that say that that is, is an important factor of getting top dollar for your car, I have to disagree with. Uh, my mind might be changed over time, but so far we've not seen that to be an important aspect of, of getting all the money. The, the last note I want to make about that is that we had the highest hammer price. So there's one other car that sold for more inclusive of buyer's fees. Now we've touched on this before, and this is why we like the online auctions so much. So all the major online auctions charge 5% flat fee and then typically a $5,000 maximum buyer's commission. However, all of the Big tent auctions, RM Gooding, Broad Arrow, et cetera, et cetera. Barrett Jackson, they charge ten to fifteen percent on both ends. So the other car that sold, let's see, I think ours sold for, we'll call it a hundred sixty thousand dollars round number. I don't remember the actual sale number. So the buyer paid one hundred sixty-five, and we charged. 6%, so the seller net approximately 150. So out of 165 that the buyer paid, the seller net 150. <clears throat> On the other auction, the hammer price was about $150,000, which means the buyer paid 165 and the seller net approximately 135 because of the auction's take. So there's a massive spread in what the seller nets between these big auctions and an online auction even if you're paying somebody like us a commission to present the car and and consign it so that is a commercial for us and and the effort that we put in to make sure you get top dollar for your car. It absolutely is a commercial for us, uh, t- to use us to, to, to advertise your car on an online auction. And, uh, but, but there's also things anybody can learn in terms of how you're preparing your car for the auction. It's not as easy as people think. Thank you for uh, allowing me to to uh, advertise ourselves like that. This is my show, you know, so it's it's great to be able to say that. But we're gonna we're gonna go right into one of our new segments, and I will introduce them all as they come. And this is a character I created for the Vinwiki survey panel, and it is called the Corvette Curmudgeon. He is a stereotype of pretty much all Corvette owners out there. So without further ado, we have a question for the Corvette Curmudgeon. Take it away, Tyler.
0: All right, uh, I'm going to address you as Mister Curmudgeon, I guess. Uh, how do you pick your favorite Corvette at the car show? Was well, my Corvette? Obviously, well, but but, it, but it's like a car show. Don't you go to see other cars? You know, maybe other Corvettes. Why would I do
1: that, Frank? No, when I get there, I, I get there about four hours early to make sure I get my spot. I pull up my Corvette. And I open the trunk. I get out my my Corvette lawn chair, my California car duster. And my poster that explains all the specifications on my Corvette. And then I wipe off the car and I sit there, I get out my cooler and I got to stay there the whole time because, you know, if somebody comes by, they might be interested in learning about how rare my car is, you know. And so I got to talk to them about my car and answer all their questions and uh, make sure kids don't touch my car. And dang kids, you know, always friggin' putting their hands on, greasy hands on cars, and I just
0: spent four hours detailing it last night. So no, I don't go around and look at the cars. So you've never seen a Corvette more rare than yours at a car show before?
1: No, my, my, my Corvette, very,
0: very rare. One of one in that specification made this week. Alrighty, well, uh, thank you, Mr. Curmudgeon. Uh, SwitchCast is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit celebritymachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25... 039 percent at checkout don't know why that tripped me up
1: thank you celebrity machines for your sponsorship <clears throat> all right from the world of of car news i read an interesting article just today and it was that porsche breaks a record for new car sales in 22 2022 beak my goodness start doing over. all right yeah need porsche... to fill up your whiskey <laughs> Porsche breaks a record for new car sales in 2022, beating its previous record in 2021, beating 2020, which had been its second highest year ever. So over 70,000 new cars were delivered to the U.S. in in, uh, 2022, which beat 2021 by literally only a handful. It was like 30 cars or something like that. Compare that to 2019, which saw just over 61,000 delivered, and that marked the 10th straight year of sales increases. Listen, we all know Porsche is selling out to their shareholders with cars like the Boxster, Cayenne, the Macan, the Panamera, the Taycan, and... and Whatever. And that's fine. They're no longer a sports car company. That's fine. We've all accepted that by now, even though they still make the Cayman GT4 RS, which is amazing. But they're primarily not a sports car company. They've become a luxury car brand. But what I want to highlight here is the apparent myth of these supply chain issues. How is it that new cars, if you want to order a new Porsche, it's one to two years out? Yet they can beat their unit volume sales records for the last three years straight amidst these global supply chain constraints. How is it that when the Felicity Ace sinks with nearly 4,000 Volkswagen Auto Group cars on board, Porsche can miraculously reproduce those cars for clients in a matter of a couple months? Something to me is not adding up here, right? Everybody was sold on this supply chain constraint. Can't get a new car. There's no inventory on dealer lots, which was true. So they jacked all their prices up, charged over MSRP, but they still sold more cars than last year, which was more than the year before, which was 10,000 more than pre pandemic. I don't get it. I don't get it. Something smells fishy. Now you might say, oh, well they're delivering more cars to the U S and less to other countries. That's not true either. Globally, They had more new car sales in 2022 than ever before. And that's even though their biggest market, which is China, was down 2%. Every other market was up. Which, by the way, conspiracy theorists that uh what was it the the office episode when when Michael Scott came in and was talking all he was trying to debate Oscar about how China was going to take over the world and here it is China's is Porsche's
0: largest market the u s used to command that position, but uh no longer well, is it something is the demand high enough more people want it that now it's outpacing the normal supply that's come back, so they're just still using the same excuse because if they're selling that many cars <sighs> I don't think so,
1: because the demand initially, well, it's it's twofold, right? So yes, there was an increased demand at the beginning of the pandemic for cars and for certain types of things for people to spend their money on because they couldn't spend their money elsewhere. But that um, did not drive the initial price spikes. Um, and then you had a massive supply constraint, which allowed people to jack their prices up on new cars. And so I think that the, the pent up demand was a response partly to this um, feeling that, well, I can't get a new car, so I want it more, right? The things that people can't have, they want. And it, it just seems fishy that, you know, everybody's talking about how they can't get enough parts, they can't deliver cars. But the numbers say that they delivered more cars than ever, ever. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, Tesla slashed new car prices last week in the wake of less than stellar quarter four sales numbers, love or hate Elon Musk for his politics. He does understand the law of supply and demand. If you're not delivering cars, you drop prices. And uh, golly, the the price drops were were staggering here. So, um, let's see. The Model Three they dropped at six percent. The Model Three Performance fourteen percent. The Model Y twenty percent off uh, new car sticker price. Model Y Performance nineteen percent. The Model S plaid fifteen percent and the Model X plaid fourteen percent. I still think they're all overpriced. They're friggin' garbage cars, but whatever.
0: Well, yeah, I didn't I don't follow Tesla prices too often. I don't care about them. But did they raise their prices due to any inflationary stuff and this is a correction, or is this down from what the MSRP has I'm, been for I'm, like years? I'm
1: sure they did, but whether or not they did, every other manufacturer has continued to raise their sticker prices this year. Boats, RVs, cars. Everybody's raising their sticker prices, but Tesla friggin' in the face of everybody else slashed them. And uh, CarMax, not to be confused with Carvana, because CarMax actually um, delivers a title for a car when they sell it to you, immediately dropped prices on their stock of Teslas, like slashed them, and they got rid of 50% of their inventory in a few days. So, you know, CarMax can afford to do that when they're not $7 billion in debt, like Carvana. And speaking of Carvana, uh, Carvana has launched. So Carvana purchased Adesa Auctions. Adesa is a wholesale auction, um, and they wanted to have their own source of cars. So this was last year they purchased them for 2.2 billion dollars that they borrowed from Chase Bank. Uh, but Carvana has now launched Adesa Clear, which is this you know super transparent means of uh dealers buying wholesale inventory. You get, you know, extended arbitration period, you get a, this long return policy, you know, inspection sheets, et cetera, et cetera. Trying to be like, oh, we're we're being really, really transparent. But they're really not. Because if you look at our how Carvana operates their retail enterprise, it's anything but clear. The only thing clear is like friggin' Denver's uh uh Denver's Carvana tower which is completely clear of any inventory cuz they they built a tower in Denver and can't friggin' get their license approved and get zoning approved so it's just been sitting there with no cars in it or maybe they can't afford to buy any cars cuz they're in so much debt. Uh yeah, Odessa clear unlike the titles on the cars that they sell. <laughs> um and, and and speaking of Carvana, so a lot of people have brought up or asked What happens when Carvana goes bankrupt? So they've said, okay, well, um, is that going to put a a glut of cars on the market? Are we going to see this influx of inventory at the auctions? And is that just going to tank the market? And the question is when they go bankrupt, I say when, not if, because it's, it has to happen. They have way too much debt to keep going the way they are. And they, they still can't make money on cars. Um, I have no bankruptcy attorney, but the internet is a wonderful thing because you can learn these things. They can either file Chapter 7 or Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And I think most people are just assuming that they will file chapter seven bankruptcy and we'll just see all these cars liquidated and chapter seven is a liquidation type of bankruptcy where all of their assets get liquidated by a, a you know a trustee or something like that uh, who takes over the assets and pays off the debtors and they are out of business it is far more likely and this is usually what happens to big corporations, that they will file a chapter 11, which is like a reorganization or a restructuring uh, bankruptcy, and it, it protects them from their debtors. Uh, it, it gives them more time to pay off their debts or it allows them to negotiate or reduce their uh, debt obligations so that they continue operating. So if they file a chapter 11, we're not going to see a whole bunch of cars on the market. We're not going to see them close. Unfortunately, they are going to keep doing business. And again, the reason I keep harping on Carvana is because I don't think they do good business. Period. They had a really good idea and and the idea is definitely the future of the automotive market, which is an easier buying process than going through the dealer and sitting there doing the four square and taking 8 hours to buy a new car. However, I don't think Carvana is a company that's going to lead us there. All right. <clears throat> Shameful what uh, what Carvana is doing. And that brings us to one of our segments, the wall of shame. So on my website, I have the wall of shame, which I like to make fun of customers. That's right. It's like a reverse Yelp. I get to call customers <laughs> out when they are being morons. And it's it's very often. And I found this one. This was actually not not for us. This was from a different dealership, but I had to read it. I thought this one was good. The the review came in. I would never deal with this company again. Got the runaround, and it was a waste of my time to deal with these people. I bought a nicer Mercedes for better value. And more important, the dealership I bought from went above and beyond. Shop around before you buy from them. The dealership response. I find this very interesting that we you feel that we wasted your time. Everything was going fine until you asked us to hold a car for you for over a month. This is not a practice that I would say any business would normally did would normally do. We did say we would hold it again for over a month. All we asked for was a deposit. This is the point in which you said that was ridiculous and would not give us anything to hold it for you. I feel that we went above and beyond to earn your business and asked for nothing out of the ordinary. We also told you that the deposit was 100% refundable if you were not happy with the vehicle when you got here. As you can see by all our reviews, we are a great company to work with according to all the realistic people that we have done business with. (laughs) So as a business owner, I love that pot shot at the end. Now, this dealer has some other questionable reviews. However, having been in this situation and essentially knowing this customer by this situation, I totally side with the dealer here. There are so many people that feel that you know the, they deserve special treatment, that you should go above and beyond to earn your business that just aren't worth the hassle. Um, and, and I remember at a bar being introduced to a potential client who wanted me to help him uh, buy a new Mercedes, and he wanted me to essentially beat the deal the Mercedes dealer had given him with whom he had a longstanding relationship, which told me, okay, well, he's not loyal. He'll, he'll sail for a couple hundred bucks, and he told me straight up, he goes, you're going to have to work really hard to earn my business, at which point I essentially was just like, no, no, I'm not, because I don't want your business,
0: because some people just aren't worth it switchcast is brought to you by boxcast boxcast is a live streaming company based in cleveland ohio and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world their founders launched boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose to make people part of the experience if you're looking to live stream your podcast church service car show sporting event wedding or even your cannonball attempt boxcast is an easy flexible live streaming platform for organizations BoxCast is so easy that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. Head over to SwitchCast.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. Thank you, Tyler, and thank you, BoxCast. I'd say a phone and some very impressive dongles that our producer Ethan has going on over here.
1: (laughs) Ethan has also done his job to have the sound (laughs) excellent for the the inevitable audio podcast. But yes, the uh, BoxCast is very easy. So we we have to do a market update because the market has been changing quite a bit for the last couple of years, and uh, for about two years straight, it went up, and it's been going down for about six months straight. But there is one auction result in particular that I thought was noteworthy as as it was indicative of the market overall, and it was a 2012 Audi R8 V10 stick shift, and it sold in December 2021 for 169 thousand dollars. And in December 22, the car went up for auction again on the same platform, both on Bring a Trailer, and it high bid at $153,000. So the same car went from 169 dollars to 153 dollars in 12 months. No significant difference in mileage or condition. Basically the same car, just one year apart. Now, the, the data I'm reading, the studies are showing that we've had anywhere from an 8 to 14% decline in values year over year for, for uh, fourth quarter, 22 to 21. Now, I hear a lot from, I think, well-intentioned but uninformed people that say that rich people aren't affected when the market goes down or in a recession and the high-end car market is immune. They think that you know, expensive cars just keep selling regardless of the economy. (laughs) And that's just, it's incredibly wrong. And if anything, the high end market has bigger swings um, because you have speculation, you have people thinking their investments, people are not buying these cars just to own them and keep them. Uh, So you can have some really, really big swings in the collector car market that track along with the overall market. And uh, one actual way I've I've started tracking the market overall, uh, or really the Porsche market in the last couple of years. This is this is really nerdy. Track with me here for a second. Is the Euro Recaro GT3 seats right? So. Uh, Porsche made the, what they call the alien header, the fixed back seats for the 996 GT3 and RS in the early 2000s. But you couldn't get them on the U.S. cars because they weren't crash tested, whatever didn't meet NHTSA regulations. So people would buy them and install them, especially because they had the pass throughs for the harnesses. Now they're a big deal and people want to put them in their GT3s and their track cars, whatever. So they used to be like twenty five hundred dollars. And at the height of the market, I saw them sell for over $8,000. And recently, they've come down. They sell for about $6,000 to $6,500, which seems to me to be like the exact trajectory that collector cars are taking as well. They like double and or tripled, and now they're coming off like 25%. So I just I watch because there's a set listed like every two weeks. And I just I watch what the Euro Recaro sell for. I'm like, this is the state of the madness of
0: the Porsche market. And that's kind of my metric to see where it is. That's you need like a big screen in your office. that just has like a graph drawing of every (laughs) sale so you can keep track of it like a stockbroker or something. Um uh, speaking of of market
1: values uh we often get asked what a particular car is worth somebody's selling it or buying it they want advice on, on a particular number and of course there's lots of tools out there to determine that but uh those tools can be fairly generic and sometimes people want an expert opinion so one of these segments we have one of the characters I guess you could say is the appraiser that is a new character for this season and we will answer one per week questions about uh either buying or selling and what you think
0: a particular car is worth so take it away tyler all right. The appraiser is brought to you by Nuts for Sticks. Uh, it is a brand celebrating the manual transition transmission in all of its forms. Forget flappy paddles. We like shifting ourselves. Check out our fun and funny stick-themed shirts at nutsforsticks.com. That is a number four, and save ten percent on your order using the discount code Switchcast. That's nutsforsticks.com and use the code Switchcast. All right, and this week's appraiser question comes for you from Sam Deacon on Instagram. Doug, I know you probably get asked a lot, but I figured I would try to ask your opinion since you seem to be the right guy to ask. He's really buttering you up over here. (laughs) I'm looking at a 2008 Porsche 911 C2S with PASM and the sport steering wheel. Silver with black interior, as all 911s are. (laughs) 43,000 miles. Except Tyler's, (laughs) it's
1: green on gray.
0: Which makes it worth less, I guess. Uh, so it's got forty three thousand miles. A couple of interior items broken. Uh, a couple curious on cover what. probably um,
1: and uh, glove uh, the the sun visor covers. Oh, okay. I bet you the the mirror covers on the sun visor. Guarantee you it's those two things.
0: All right, the engine appears to be strong and not have bore scoring. It's getting a PPI right now. What is the max you would pay for this as a personal car?
1: Oh, man. Well, first of all, I wouldn't buy a silver Porsche. That's one. Second, I wouldn't buy one with black interior. So I'm at like 20 grand. This thing is worthless. (laughs) Um, I I mean, I'm assuming it's a manual transmission. I didn't get that detail. There's a lot of factors which affect this, you know, how the PPI is, whether or not it really does have bore scoring, which probably doesn't at that low mileage. Um, whether or not it has sport seats, any other noteworthy options, overall condition is very important. Um, but it hits me in general as a 45 to $50,000 car. If it was like amazing and it had sport seats and ceramic brakes and like crazy options and maybe 55. Uh, but I, I think in that general range, probably high forties for a, a vanilla
0: spec car, which it probably is because it's silver on black. What if, uh, what about the, uh, the IMS? <laughs> has oh, your ims been replaced gosh it's you can't somewhere. replace him in this in one the of these 2008s <laughs> but yeah
1: I, the bore scoring is probably a, a bigger potential concern than the ims in the 2008 but i don't know it, we're not going to get into that today <laughs> <laughs> i tried <laughs> the the uh closely related to the appraiser is the shrewd negotiator brought to you by vin wiki the shrewd negotiator is uh Uh, it's it's one step up from the appraiser he's figured out what something is worth and he wants to try to get it for less and uh, it's probably one step before the wall of shame because shrewd negotiators tend to earn their way onto the wall of shame often often because they're trying so hard so uh, this, this week's example of a uh, attempted shrewd negotiator was a buyer who was looking at an Audi R8 V10 manual that we had for sale that we had offered them, and, and it was offered for 150,000 dollars. It was a really nice 15,000-mile car in the color they wanted. No stories, clean, original. And, in, and uh, the buyer, through his broker, the broker, through no fault of the broker, the buyer was the one who found this uh, listing and was attempting to be the shrewd negotiator. The buyer sends me this listing for a seemingly identical car, but in white for $130,000. I'm like, man, that's that sucks. That's 20 grand less than we're asking. I don't know how that car is so cheap. So I did a little bit of digging. And I looked at the Carfax and it was clean. But then the more I looked, the more I realized, okay, well, it's been for sale for the last nine months by two different dealers, basically went back and forth from one dealer to the other and then back to the one. I said, well, that's not a good sign. And then I looked immediately prior to it being for sale for nine months, it had been re-imported. So it, it had spent 12 years in Panama. That's not a good start. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know what it's like down there, but dirt roads and drug lords. I I, I don't know that I would trust an R8 that came from Panama and it was uh, actually in colon Panama. So there's definitely some jokes here. <laughs> I'm just waiting. You haven't used the I, drum at all tonight. I, so I, I think it, it, that R8 might have left white and come back brown. You think it got a colonoscopy while I was there? If it's not on the Carfax, I don't know. (laughs) The reason reason they haven't sold it yet is because the buyers can't digest the car's history. (laughs) I wonder if it went from colum to rectum. (laughs) At which Uh. point you say, rectum, damn near killed him. (laughs) But if it was rectum, the damage Uh. definitely wouldn't show up on Carfax (laughs) because it was in Panama. Uh.
0: I will say you made some folks really happy that I don't mean to cut you off. We've got a couple multiple people say they appreciate that the drum is still here in season three, that it has made the cut.
1: <laughs> now if only I could find a brown Ford probe to send down to Colon.
0: <laughs> I take back my apology. I'm glad I cut that off.
1: So if the Panama Canal gets blocked up, what do you do? <laughs>
0: How are we still going?
1: <laughs> but the point here is the point here is A car that exists in Panama for 12 years. You have no idea what happened to it. Not that Carfax is the be-all end-all, but you have no idea what could have happened to the car. It could have been wrecked. It could have been owned by a drug lord. I mean, Ed Bullion's famous for trying to buy cars from down there because he knows they all have stories. So anyway, it was not a legitimate comp, but he was attempting to be a shrewd negotiator, but I out shrewded the shrewd negotiator. (laughs) Oh goodness <clears throat> in other news one of our favorite shows the Amelia Island Conqueror, now uh, sorry now the Haggerty uh, no now the Amelia by Haggerty sorry they have been bought out is featuring they they feature a typically a race car driver an automotive person of history every year and their cars so their honoree this year is Jeff Gordon which of course on their Facebook ad for this event brought out all of the cranky fixed income retirees and likely Corvette owners who think $175 is too much for a ticket and that this show is only for the super wealthy and millionaires. Listen, I'm sorry that you spent $200 on light beer watching him race and think that his commemorative plates and scale models are investments, but you know. $175 $175 for a car show. Well, I guess the ones they go to are free, but, uh, yeah, the comments on the Facebook ad were similar to comments on any Corvettes for sale at over MSRP. So
0: <laughs> it, it was, did you feel the curmudgeon just welling up inside of you? A welling little, like trying to break so out So
1: many curmudgeons, <laughs> oh, how can they charge? I can't afford to take my kid there anymore. Like it's, <laughs> been like 120 (laughs) bucks for the last bajillion years i can go to my neighborhood car show for free like okay cool jeff gordon won't be there (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) neither will 200 million dollars worth of cars (laughs) probably more than that probably like Uh. a billion anyway anyway (laughs) (laughs) let's have some questions drink
0: (laughs) No, we do, uh, we do have some good questions. We appreciate everybody uh, with us here on the YouTube chat and elsewhere. Uh, so Val asks, uh, what's your opinion of the Infinity G35 and G37? Thinking of getting one as a second car after selling whatever they had previously.
1: Ooh, I, I very much like them. Now, it's they are getting a bad name if you follow... Um, Street takeovers or big Altima energy—they are essentially a fancy rear-wheel drive Altima, and a lot of the current owners embody that mentality. If any of you have not like figured either of those two things out for entertainment, go watch. Um, but they are really, really good cars. They sound good. They are rear-wheel drive. They're reasonably fun to drive for a grand touring car, and they're super affordable. A good friend of mine, uh, that was his first, like, quote-unquote real car, like the first one he bought that wasn't his parents' Honda Accord, and he had it for, like, 10 years uh, while he was going through medical school. And, um, yes, 10 years to get through <laughs> medical school and he loved it and he, he misses it. And, you know, once you own a real sports car, you go drive one, you're like, oh, this is kind of heavy and bulky and whatever. But I had a rear wheel drive G35 sedan a couple years ago that we got in. I love driving that thing around. It was, it was, it's a lot of fun for what it is. 10 grand. I mean, there's not much else you can get that's, that's that much fun and engaging for that price. So yeah, I like them.
0: In a related Infinity vein, uh, did you hear that a Q45 went for like $29,000 on Bring a Trailer? Any idea why people are into those now from Joseph?
1: A Q45, is that the like kind of bulbous four-door thing? I think. Yeah, that's why I'd, I don't even know if 29 is a lot or a little for that. <laughs> I, I don't to pay l-
0: attention <laughs> to the market
1: on bulbous four-doors.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not entirely your target. Uh, unless so it's burgundy <laughs> something else that i is not necessarily your target anymore but i guess used to be uh pete uh asks that are r35 prices on the up what's your view oh gosh well they keep making them that's my thought is how can
1: they this be is up the last year we're gonna more? make it just kidding introducing the all new r35 gtr <laughs> this is a final edition it's the last final edition yeah. it's the best final edition Oh gosh,
0: they're worse than Lamborghini. Um, <sighs> Is it the longest, like uh, we'll say, sports car or whatever that's been um, on sale that has been the same?
1: Let's see, two thousand nine to twenty twenty three. So that's fourteen years. Acura NSX was ninety one to two thousand five with some changes but nothing significant. So that was fourteen years. Um, <clears throat> it took apart. They took away the pop ups though. That's pretty significant. Well, though. yeah, <laughs> uh, fine. <laughs> Um, it, it's getting close. 14 years is a long, long run,
0: a long run. Um, the but, Countach was around there too, wasn't it? Uh, oh yeah. Mm. It was like mid seventies to,
1: yes. I think that changed maybe more significantly, but yes, it was a single model. Um, a lot of styling changes, I guess, but okay. Yeah. For It's, it's probably, I I don't know if they're on the up, um, they keep raising the sticker price so that probably pulls all of them up and they are a lot, a lot of car for the money or they, they were when they were 70,000 bucks, but yeah, 200,000 now for a special Nismo edition or something like that. It's, it's getting
0: ridiculous.
1: Re- <clears throat> um, so, go ahead, Tyler. Uh,
0: so Anthony, uh, asks, what are your thoughts on a Chrysler 300 C with a, with the 5.7 liter Hemi, I'm assuming it's pretty large uh looking at one anything particular to look at it's all-wheel drive (laughs) i like this part should i just buy a bmw (laughs) (laughs)
1: uh oh gosh the older 300s i think looked pretty cool like they were classy looking uh they had that kind of retro heritage styling i don't think they were actually good cars the interior is terrible and you yeah i I don't think any chrysler really is is actually a good car um and you get the same kind of uh big ultimate energy type ownership vibe stereotype with the 300c as with the infinity um you may be a target for police if you own one don't tint your windows so you know I, I would I would probably buy a BMW <laughs> but then I would buy a Mercedes because a Mercedes is way better than a BMW so that's your real answer is buy a Mercedes because that's what the 300c was trying to look like and I think at that period in time it was kind of half Mercedes anyway like it was a Mercedes drivetrain and chassis so just friggin' buy an actual
0: Mercedes and stop trying to be a poser was that mean <laughs> no I think that's very honest I think Mercedes is correct like BMW doesn't strike me as the same kind of vibe as a 300 but eh, Mercedes does. Uh, Lucas has a couple of good questions. Uh, first up is something I'm not even. Well, actually, I do know this. Uh, what's your dream car?
1: Uh, uh, that's that's too broad of a question. I mean, McLaren F1, yes, may be attainable. Ferrari F50. Uh, yeah, that's. I don't know. That's a discussion that you have to set eight different criteria to make it interesting because. <laughs> Most of us can't ever attain our dream car, but
0: probably McLaren F1. Yes. Uh, they also want to know what you think a good first car is. They want something safe and somewhat reliable. Oh, that's a good question for the Corvette curmudgeon next week. We'll, u- we'll use that one. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, so uh, we'll put a pin So in that.
1: other news, this, this, is a, this is a fun one. So Doug Tabbit, that's right, myself, got banned from Wholesale Car Club. Now, Wholesale Car Club is a hundred thousand member strong Facebook group where people like post cars for sale, buy and sell them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know the last time I've been banned from something. I think it was like an online forum years and years ago for allegedly, you know, commercial posting without a, a without a paying for a sponsorship. Um, but I'll explain why I'm not upset about it. We've actually sold a number of cars through Wholesale Car Club, but. But, uh, (laughs) how we got banned is that there was a guy, we posted a car for sale. We were getting blown up with messages and a guy wanted to buy it. He wanted to finance it and he had a trade with a payoff. No big deal. We can handle all that. But I was very clear that, a car is not considered sold even after we make a deal until we have a deposit and/or approved financing that meets our criteria. Now, after we made a deal, as soon as we made the deal, he then tried to renegotiate it by five hundred bucks. This guy was attempting to be a shrewd negotiator on a you know hundred thousand dollar deal. He's like, "Well, can we just do five hundred bucks more?" So I'm already getting the the feeling that this might could go sideways. And then he asked if we would take a bank draft. Now, for those not in the auto dealer community, a bank draft is the most unsecure way for you to sell a car, right? So you could get a cashier's check. That's pretty much cash if it's not a scam. Wire transfer is the best. Then you could get the buyer could bring their own financing and get a check from that credit union or that bank. That's good. But then dealers will accept a letter of credit, which is essentially a promise that the bank will pay the dealer as long as all of their criteria is met. And they may need a copy of the title. They may need a title application guaranteeing that you'll place them as the lien holder, whatever. But you know their stipulations up front, so you can decide whether or not it's worth it to say, well, I'm not going to get paid, but I have to deliver the car and I'll get paid when I meet these criteria. And we'll almost always work with a letter of credit. One step removed from that is a bank draft, which is the bank basically saying, we'll pay you after we get the title, which is super sketch, because all of a sudden now you are delivering a car to the customer and releasing the title, and you have not a cent to your name. Now you have a bank that's promised to pay you, but the problem is, is this bank was in Florida and they promised to pay us after the title was in the customer's name in Florida and their lien was perfected in Florida. So we have no control. It's not like it's in our state and we can go to the DMV, place the lien on it, and then say, hey, bank, okay, it's done, pay us now. Like, that could take a month. We don't know. We have zero control. And I told the guy up front, no bank drafts. So we tried to get him financed with two other banks. No go, he then brought Bank of America to the table, who doesn't finance, who doesn't uh do deals for independent dealers only for franchise dealers and Carvana of all places and uh and we're like listen you're you're not approved, and he never sent a deposit so I said you know and, and this story is far longer than I'm making it, but I basically said i'm sorry, we're going to the next guy in line. We have a guy ready to wire money." You haven't placed a deposit. You haven't come to the table with approved financing. It doesn't look like we're going to be able to acquire financing for you. We can't try any harder. We're done. And he like lost his crap and immediately complained to the admins of Wholesale Car Club. They immediately banned me. A dealer in good standing. They immediately banned me and didn't send me a message or anything and say, hey, what's going on? So I sent them a message, and they basically said the the long and short of it was, well, he complained, and in my experience, 95% of the time, the first person to complain is right. So, I got banned because another guy complained first. No arbitration process. Every other dealer network that I'm a part of has an arbitration process, has communication for that matter. They act like adults. They say, well, gee, there's probably two sides to every story. And, you know, it's highly unlikely that this upstanding, reputable dealer is, you know, pulling this shenanigans and selling it out from under this guy. But no, they banned me and, uh, yeah, so I guess I don't I don't miss it. It's unfortunate, but yes, I I got banned. Well, that's surprising. I got removed from the largest uh largest automotive car place on Facebook. <laughs>
0: I'm I don't know if it's just the whiskey. How did we get there from what is a safe and reliable first car? <laughs>
1: It the was story just, was good it, but, was you know. A, it was just a thing it's automotive news you know switch cars banned from wholesale car club but anyway um, uh, the next segment up is the scam sniffer I'm about to bring a financial boaz
0: into your life
1: I don't love the name but I haven't come up with any better alliteration for that. So if somebody has a better name for, for sniffing out scams, I didn't like Scam Smeller. So no, I did like Scam. Scam Sniffer is actually like an album or something like that. Or I don't know, it's out there. Smeller, Sniffer, whatever. It all sounds weird, but we are sniffing out scams. So Tyler's going to read a scam and this is a new one. So I actually got this in the mail. Somebody mailed it to me. Uh, from Canada, Station Industrial Park in Markham, Ontario. Usually, I just get emails from the Prince of Nigeria's beneficiary. Whatever. I so, was wondering why this was <clears> folded. Right. So he will read off a scam, and if you want to submit your your potential scams in the future, uh, you're welcome to do so. And I will uh, whack the drum or something when I have
0: determined, based on the language, it to be a scam. Already. Here we go. Dear Douglas Tabbit, I'm aware that this letter has come to you as a surprise as we have not yet met before or handled any business deals in the past. Nevertheless, I have contacted you with genuine intentions and I hope I can... Oh. (laughs) I was getting in the zone. keep going. Uh, Genuine intentions and I hope I can trust you with this inheritance opportunity (laughs) which will be explained below. My name is James Noval, an account manager with TD Canada Trust Bank. I have I retrieved your contact address in my search for the next of kin of a deceased customer <laughs> of our bank, Mr. George Tabbit, a citizen of your country who lived and died in London, Ontario, Canada from cardiac arrest in the year 2012. Unfor- <laughs> <Do> There's was- <laughs> no Tabit that would move to
1: Canada. That's the first thing. There's only 18 Tabbits in the u.s and i don't think there's a george but anyway keep going
0: unfortunately this customer died into state leaving his bank account with an open beneficiary status All efforts made by our bank to locate his relatives have been unsuccessful, so I decided to write to you as I have monitor- monitored this account in the bank for about 10 years now, and no one has come <laughs> forth with any claims.
1: Oh my gosh, all right, stop, stop. God. <laughs> Sorry, this one's just too easy. It is like hitting all the markers of a scam. This is like one of the oldest ones in the book. This is the typical like Prince of Nigeria letter. Like, ah, oh, you're the beneficiary of millions and millions. Of, how, how many? I was say we didn't even it? get
0: to the number. How many millions is it? <laughs> Nine point two million USD. Yeah, okay. If it was it's Canadian, always, it would be like five bucks. It's always enough. millions.
1: <laughs> 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 yes, yes, so cheap. So cheap. It's that one was too easy. All right, we'll come up with a. We'll try to come up with a harder one next week. Uh, the scammers are getting quite good. This this was an absolute amateur attempt. I just thought it was interesting. They actually like sent me a letter in the mail, <clears throat> unfortunately from a PO box, so I can't start messing with them and send them a fake cashier's check back or something like that uh, from Jiffy. Therapist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a substantial amount of text here too. I barely, I didn't even get to halfway oh gosh, through this it's, thing. It's, it's such a long letter. Yes. Substantial. Yes. We don't
1: have time for that. Anyway. <laughs> Send us your scams, your potential scams, your interactions with people online buying or selling, and we will vet them and uh, see how quickly we can identify them as scams because I am a magnet for them and I know how to call them out. Um, <laughs> I, you, you said we had a question from the, the venerable Smooth Mark Spence who is not with us tonight. Uh, we don't, I don't, it's not, he asks, where's
0: Mark Spence? And I, no, I you, know.
1: but you had a, a question. Oh, that yes. one. Sorry, I got all yes. confused. He popped you that into, into the
0: confused. chat. Um, he asks, what's a good adult car? What is a good adult car? Well, I, I want to hear your answer to this first. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think a Volvo station wagon is a pretty good adult car. You can get some of them with a manual transmission. <laughs> it's pretty good. I don't speak with any bias whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Says the
1: guy who owns, I don't know. I, I, I. I got to be careful here. My mom owns a Volvo station wagon. It's good stuff, and and she's an adult. But you also own one. You're <laughs> you're like wearing a cardigan, and skinny jeans, and Converse. So, like, it, it you got the V50R, like trying to be an adult station wagon. Ugh. My mom's
0: got the V70XC. Well, there's a transition period adult. somewhere in the middle where you got to like finish growing <laughs> the up, adulting I guess. car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Why does Mark Spence want to know what a, an adult car is? Is he ready to be an adult? Absolutely not. Oh, I don't know Gosh. I see, I think uh, one of the answers on a serious note, I, that is a good question. Um, I think Audi RS4, because you can put your kids in the back of it, and because you have to be an adult because you have to have a significant level of wealth to, to maintain them, um, or or a Ferrari. Ferrari's an adult car. Right, Enzo Ferrari famously said, "Io ciao io ciao mia geriatrica pesos," or in English, "I make cars for young men that only
0: old men can afford." This was not on the itinerary for this evening. Is that? <laughs> is that not? A, do I, you I, have Google Translate I, from Italian? I do, but I don't
1: know what I would. Don't want to know what it says for that. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, he made cars for young men that only old men can afford. That was his famous. Saying, so they, they're they old man cars, so they're adult cars, so you can therefore justify that a
0: Ferrari is an adult car. I, sure. We are taking we took two different trains of thought with this. I'm thinking he thinks boring, reliable transportation, because he's finally done with like broken cars that never work, but you're I always mean, your more fun. I
1: wanted to test out my Italian. I took Italian for like a half a semester in high school, and I it wanted is. to see if I still had it. <laughs> It shows. Uh, Here's a good adult car for Tyler. I found this Uh one. On Bring a Trailer, there was just listed this week a 37,000-mile Aventure in green over classic gray 1995 Porsche 911. Oh, that's going to be... First-year car. Don't even need to deal with the secondary air injection issues. Yup, yup. So it sold in 2020 before the market spiked for seventy three thousand five hundred. What do we think it's going to sell for now? Thirty seven thousand mile ninety five nine nine three stick. Oh, uh,
0: probably up near a hundred, right? Hundred.
1: We're we're gonna mark that hundred thousand. I don't have something to write it down, but we're gonna mark that and see where. Come back to this next week and see where Tyler's dream car. Sells for his his adult. It's, it's
0: already at sixty nine thousand nine nine three. That's, that's right. a nice price, but yeah. All right, it should be at ninety five nine nine three
1: because it's ninety five nine nine three. Yeah,
0: but they don't get the silly child joke in there <laughs> that way. <laughs>
1: All right, we are coming to the end here, and we are bringing back a popular closing, which is the Props and Flops. This has probably always been my favorite. And uh, the Props and
0: Flops is brought to you by Switch Cars. Take it away, Tyler. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com our pick of the week from Switch Cars Inventory is... Can you guess? Uh, that's a good question. Is it the the green Mercedes yes! that was... Yes!
1: Yeah. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Yes, uh, so we just got in a 94 Mercedes SL500, an emerald green over parchment. I like it because it's green. So does Tyler. So good. <laughs> I also like it because it's got great... Service history and documents as the original window sticker, all the paperwork from when the guy bought it, the original owner kept it through 2021 full service history. It's got like probably 40, $50,000 in service receipts. And I like it because it's not silver. It's got 46,000 miles. I think we're going to be asking about seventeen five after we service it. It's a really, really beautiful car. It's not on our website, but Hit us up if you're interested in having a green. That That's an adult car right there. Honestly, you're, you're not wrong. That is an adult <laughs> car. That is a very adult slash geriatric car right there. <laughs> All right. The flop of the week. <clears throat> Hearses are going electric, both with a Tesla and a Mustang
0: Mach-E. And they are both equally hideous they, they each awful. like already have one foot in the grave? Oh, man.
1: I wouldn't be caught dead <laughs> in either one. <laughs> they are, I mean, they are terrible. Look it up. Look up the Mustang Mach-E hearse. It is a styling abomination. Anyway, it's reported that approximately 120,000 people die every year from work-related stress. So, unfortunately... <laughs> Tyler's like, where are you going with this? (laughs) Unfortunately, these electric hearses are going to add to those statistics for undertakers now. Do you know why? Please tell us. Range anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a work-related illness. Oh, our prop of the week (laughs) goes to me for that joke. Uh, This company called Modificata... It's my Italian coming back. <laughs> sure. Has converted a 458 Speciale to a gated manual gearbox.
0: Oh! Is it good, though? I don't know. Like, that sounds amazing.
1: Speaking of undertaking, I literally have this in my script. I just <laughs> use the word undertaker. It is an impressive undertaking, given that there were no factory parts to work from, right? So like the 599 and the 430, the 360 manual swaps have all been cars that were made in a manual and then converted, or sorry, like they were also made in a manual and they would convert F1. So it's like, okay, we already know how this is done. We're just reverse engineering a manual car and converting an F1 car. This is like, there's no programming. All of Ferrari's, technology and programming and codes and all that crap is proprietary. Like I can't imagine how many thousands of hours went into just the coding and the programming alone. Like that is crazy. But anyway, they've done it. I haven't driven it. I'd like to, if you want me to come drive it, I will be happy to do that. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what these companies do moving forward, making manual, Uh, conversions with with cars we love aston martin works did it with the vanquish took a terrible car or took a great car with a terrible transmission (laughs) and made it what it should have been originally uh so i'm really really excited to see what these companies do going forward and it'll be interesting to see what the the market responds like how a manual swapped 458 speciality uh sells relative to to uh to factory one but yeah, so it's 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 really cool. I am nuts for sticks, nuts for sticks. We love we love companies that do that. So, anyway, this has been a fantastic episode for us. We hope it has been for you. This wraps up uh, the first episode of season three. Again, uh, we hope you join us for the rest of the season. We will bring back uh, all of our. Um, all of our characters i promise not to attempt italian accent again or any italian words for that matter other than chow uh so anyway um thank you all for joining us thank you to our sponsors boxcast nuts for sticks switch cars celebrity machines and steven holm woodworking thank you to our producer ethan Huffnagel, and our ed mcmahon tyler sanders Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Monday, wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life.